Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Pond Hunter Broadcast from the Under the Sea Radio Show on Blog Talk Radio. The Pond Hunter, in the pursuit of all things aquatic. Take a look into the world of koi ponds, water gardens, and the lifestyles of the aquatically obsessed. Meet the pros, hobbyists, and cover some no-nonsense pond advice straight from the field. The Pond Hunter, in the pursuit of all things aquatic. Here's your host, koi pond and water garden expert, Mike Gannon. Hey, everybody. Hey, how are you doing tonight? How are you feeling? I hope you're all doing great, and welcome to the Pond Hunter Radio Broadcast. Happy Waterfall Wednesday, everybody. Those of you out there on Facebook land checking out pictures of all these awesome waterfalls that are being created, which is a water feature, of course. And, uh, yeah, so happy Waterfall Wednesday. Thanks for being here tonight and joining me for another episode. Tonight is episode 18 of the Pond Hunter radio broadcast on this chilly November evening. On this episode, we're going to be talking about world-class fountains and water features. And this will be a really fun discussion for anybody who is aquatically obsessed and I'm very happy to be here with all of you. I'm Mike Gannon, and I am aquatically obsessed. I admit it. I am. If you're listening to this show, you may be aquatically obsessed too. If wherever you go, you end up at a water feature, you're aquatically obsessed. If you go to hotel lobbies, shopping malls, parks, public gardens, and you're the one who's staring at the water feature, or the people who know you, they just know that they can find you by a water feature, you may be aquatically obsessed. If you find yourself staring at old, broke-down, defunct fountains like myself, picturing how the water used to run through them, you're definitely aquatically obsessed. And if you plan your vacations around water features, or let's say you go to Las Vegas and spend more time by the water features than in the casinos and checking out shows and the amazing restaurants, then you are definitely aquatically obsessed. So I'm glad you're here because you're going to dig tonight's show. If you would like, give a call in. Say, hey, you can do that. Give me a call, 914-803-4557. I would love to hear from you guys. We've got some fun stuff that I've been playing around with. I just want to check it out. Got waterfall? Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. Got waterfall? I do. Pondy? I will. I got these uh, little sound clips that I'm going to be playing with a little bit here and there. Kind of fun. Fun stuff to uh, Keep play it around with a little bit. I will. I will. Don't worry about it. So anyway, I got a, a new show closer, too. So stick around. If you like the opening of the show, I got a closing to the show now, too. So stick around and check that out, of course, at the very end of the show. That way I can keep you guys all tuned in and listening, because I like having you guys here. I'll be honest. Otherwise, I'd be doing this all by myself. So anyway, tonight, tonight we're going to go deep into water features. And um, we're going to be talking about world-class water features. And I'll be joined tonight by Russ Sitter, uh, the fountaineer out of Lexington, Kentucky. And Russ is a water feature expert. He designs and engineers water features. 
And uh, who knows, maybe you've seen his work. I bet someone out there listening has. His work can be found around the world. And uh, Ruff will be on the show with me tonight to talk water features. And um, I connected with Russ on Twitter, where you can connect with both of us. So uh, I look forward to having Russ on in just a little while and hope you guys will call in and talk water features with us. You know you want to, so come on now. Keep it pondy. There you go. Uh, Anyway, you know, um, water features are nothing new uh, to mankind. They've been with us through antiquity. And even in the ancient holy books, fountains are often spoke about and referred to. The fountain of life is a commonly recurring biblical theme. As a matter of fact, uh, water is a highly recurrent theme in the Bible and most holy books. Fountains, springs, bubbling brooks, rivers, seas, great floods. I mean, that's aquatic. Um, living waters is spoken about. And uh, even Proverbs, the fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. That's Proverbs 18.4, if you guys want to go check that out. Um, Historically, you know, a display of water, a display of water was in many ways a statement of wealth. It was a statement of power. Water features meant something much different uh, in the world where water, running water, was the exception rather than the expectation. Today we have an expectation. Imagine living your life in a region where water was collected and, and, you know, brought five miles to get to uh, wherever you live to be able to use. And then coming into, let's say, a village that had a central fountain that provided water for the town. How mind-blowing would that be? Water on demand. That's mind-blowing. Enough water for everybody. Literally flowing from a fountain. Um, it's hard to, to imagine the, how mind-blowing that must have been at one time. And imagine the ancient cities and their amazing fountains fed by series of aqueducts. I mean, what an unimaginable display of opulence. Water literally on display. Water flowing into shapes that were unimaginable to a person living in a small village that only got water during rainy season from a water hole that they shared with wild animals. I mean, these are people fighting with warthogs to get their water and uh, to see fountains and water on display. What an incredible display of wealth and abundance. I mean, it had to be mind-blowing. Fountains even became a thing of lore and legend. The search for the fountain of youth was a very real pursuit made by educated men, wealthy men, looking for the fountain of youth, the fountain of youth, a water feature. Um, Today's water features are still mind-blowing, but the average American really is not blown away by small fountain displays anymore. This is not the ancient world. We are very much used to water on demand, and we like our water features these days set to music with light shows. We need the opulence to be over the top. And tonight we'll be getting into modern water features and the technology that goes with them. But first, we're not going to completely leave the fish and plants aside. Uh, There are some things I hope you all are doing for your ponds right now, like getting in those last feedings for your fish, especially if you're in a colder region. If you're in a warmer region, there's probably not too much that's, that's changing. Uh, I'm sure there are some, some adjustments being, being made. Um, but if you're in a colder region, we've already had snow 
starting to fall in parts of the United States. Uh, I'm in the Northeast. I'm in New Jersey. We haven't had snow yet, thank goodness, but just a little north, a little uh, west of us, there has been some snow. It's like someone just turned on the winter switch. You can tell we're still in autumn, and I hope it's not like last year. Uh, last winter. In the warmer zones, again, you know, you guys are going to do some ju- adjustments to your routine. Um, and listen, even installing a de-icer is not a bad idea. I mean, we get freezing weather in Florida, right? So, you know, you guys got to be prepared. In the northern regions, um, de-icers and aerators, I would say they should be in by now. And uh, cutting back your plants is a good idea. You're not going to really see too much growth from your plants anymore. You don't want them um, dying after the first fruit frost or freeze and then, uh, you know, creating nutrients in your pond. So cutting back plants is a good idea. Winterizing your equipment, very prudent move right now. And um, my company, Full Service Aquatics, typically begins our winter prep services for our clients in October. I even have a handful of pond owners who ask for the winter prep service right after Labor Day. I mean, those are people who are they're really getting prepared. My opinion, a little swirly, but if that's the service they want, I will provide it. Um, so, you know, services kind of start as a trickle back at, at that point. And then throughout October, we are just in full swing service mode. And there are, um, you know, several really important things that need to be addressed before winter hits. And um, do you guys get my newsletter? If not, go to my website, fullserviceaquatics.com loveyourpond.com. It's the same website. And sign up for my newsletter. Um, I have some really great uh, seasonal hints and uh, just some kind of suggestions for you guys to go through. But um, anyway, you know, sign up for the newsletter. I would love to have you guys be a part of that and uh, receive that. It's once a month. I'm not going to overwhelm you guys. Um, But winter hits without warning and typically not by a schedule that we plan for. So, you know, you got to be ready. You got to be prepared. Our our nights are officially longer. Our days are shorter. The temperatures are dropping, and uh, having your koi pond and water garden prepared for the winter is critical. Prepare for it. Don't react to it. Don't be left out in the cold. And uh, if you heard the last PHRB, you have been well equipped with some great information to have a very successful winter season with your pond, um, which makes a very nice and enjoyable winter pond season. You guys can relax. There's no running around. It's done. It's taken care of. And, uh, you know, did did you guys hear the last show? Did you? You know what the last show was? Keep it pondy. And we did. Um, Episode 17 of the Pond Hunter Radio broadcast, the last show, I was joined by New York State pond professional Tom Deke. Tom is the owner of TRD Designs out of Katona, New York, and Tom came on the last show to talk about preparing your pond for a successful winter season. Um, It was a really great show uh, with lots of great information. And I like to see that people are prepared for winter and, like I said, not reacting to winter conditions. And uh, Tom and I covered a lot of information on getting your pond ready for those colder months. We talked about equipment preparation, what type of equipment to use during colder months, because in some areas you change up your equipment a little bit. Uh, we talked about whether pond keepers should run their pond they should tur- or they should turn it off. You know, some people can run their ponds all year round. Some can't. And we talked about who can, who can't, and why. 
So uh, some important stuff. We talked about different methods of preparing aquatic plants, tropical and hardy for winter. Um, and we, I think, covered in length that you, you certainly should not eat your tropical plants uh, for the winter time. That will just lead to uh, big swollen lips and tongues. So tune in and you'll know what I'm talking about. And, of course, preparing our amazing and beautiful fish, koi, goldfish, or whatever kind of fish you have. Preparing them for winter was discussed as well. Um, did you know that winter prep for fish should start really in late August? And, um, you know, that's something to think about. There's some really important things to consider for your fish and livestock and we get into detail in the last episode. I do hope you heard it, and you can always download it. Um, we went over the entire preparation process, even including putting netting over your pond. There was lots of good information, tons of good information, too much to even get into right now. And Tom was a great guest. Thanks, Tom. He was very informative. Uh, I hope you guys will check it out. And if you didn't catch the live show, you can visit Tom by going to his website, trddesigns.com. Check him out on Facebook, facebook.com slash trddesigns. And tell Tom the Pond Hunter sent you. And if you do go back to go listen to that show, remember, you can download these shows and listen to them at your convenience. Um, I love having you guys here live, but, hey, you know what? Wednesday night, 8 o'clock, I think it takes somebody aquatically obsessed to tune in at this time, and I'm happy to have you guys here. But you guys can download it if you go to blogtalkradio.com. You can listen to it on your smartphone, your tablet, your smart device, whatever. However you want to do it, it's cool. Cool with me. And um, you can find it on iTunes, too. So uh, don't be shy. Go ahead and take a look for it. You'll find plenty of good stuff. I mean, we are <clears throat> we're 18 shows deep, so there's a lot of good stuff out there and plenty more coming your way. And uh, on the next show, which I'm looking forward to very much, I've been, uh, I'm going to be joined by um, Kelly Billing. And Kelly is an author and a respected aquatic plant expert. You can find her books on Amazon.com. She is also the sales and marketing coordinator at Maryland Aquatic Nurseries, uh, which is a major aquatic plant grower and supplier to the industry. Kelly will be um, coming onto the show to give some tips, suggestions, and great advice on handling, um, growing, taking care of aquatic plants. And... uh, I will have many questions for her. Aquatic plants are still kind of misunderstood in many ways and mismanaged in many ways. So we're going to get to the bottom of it. You guys are going to have some really great information for your water gardens um, and your fusion ponds and all that kind of stuff. So uh, we'll be getting into some good info for you. We'll get into how to choose plants, which plants are best to use or not to use, and get some good old-fashioned plant care tips. Oh, and we will be talking about her books too. Kelly's written a couple books and we'll explore those. I'm looking forward to Kelly being my guest and hope you will all tune in. I can't get experts like this on every show, so Pondy people don't miss the show, but you'll be very, very sorry. Kelly Billing, folks, episode 19th of the Pond Hunter radio broadcast on November 19th, so tune in. Tune in or be square. So, um, okay. What do we have going on? What's up? What's happening out there in the pond world? We're getting close to a time where there may not be too much stuff going on. Uh, so let's go to the pages of Pond Trade Magazine. 
The new Pond Trade magazine is out. I hope you guys have gotten it. I love this magazine. It's the November December issue, 2014. Um, it's for Pond Pros, but I'm sure hobbyists. And it's a free subscription. Go to the website pondtrademag.com and just sign up. Um, this month, it's pretty jam packed. There's articles by some really great contributors. Uh, Mark M J Wilson is in there. Mark has been a previous guest on the show. Uh, Jamie Byer, Taro Kodama, also a previous guest on the show. Kent Wallace, Holly Stoukas, Zach DeKuyper. I hope I'm pronouncing these correctly. And Michael Stone. That's an easy one. It, it's a it, pretty packed issue. So anyway, lots of good stuff within that. Um, but what's going on out in the uh, in the pond world? There's not too much happening, you guys. Remember, if you're a group, club, association, organization, or even a private business, I'm happy to announce your upcoming events. Um, let me help get the word out for you guys. And if uh, I don't have a nice announcement, you know, we all have to sit here in silence. And if I don't have announcements, you know, it kind of just ends up sounding like this. Yeah, so but we don't want to get into that all night long. Um, well, what do we have going on? Uh, Infotanza is going on, ladies and gentlemen, in Phoenix, Arizona, November 18th, 19th, at the Phoenix Convention Center. Go check out Infotanza this year and enjoy the amazing speakers and the awesome networking opportunities. It's November 18th and 19th. And for more information, go to the IPPCA.org and uh, see what's going on out there. Uh, beautiful weather, I bet. Probably beats the chilly weather we have here, although really it's not too bad just at this point. Um, can you believe it's November already? I mean, the, the holidays are almost here. I mean, really, like almost here. Thanksgiving is a few weeks away. Christmas is seven weeks away. What the hell is going on? How does the time go by so fast? Weren't we just talking about spring and summer pond care? And now it's fall and snow has already come down in a few areas? Man, oh, man. Please don't let us have a winter like last year. Please, please. Um, okay, well, listen, how about some shout-outs because there's just not too much going on. Um, oh, there's also uh, Pond Attack for Humanity. I'm sorry. Um, that's going on right before Infotanza. So Infotanza is the 18th and 19th, but also in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, two days beforehand is Habitat for Humanity, which is a uh, pond build. And uh, they're going to be working um, out there doing some really great stuff. So make sure you go check out the website and see what they have going on. And, um, okay, how about some shout-outs? My shout-out is congratulations to Steve Schinholzer and the crew at Premier Ponds. They have hit an awesome benchmark in their business, and I want to say great job, guys. Very happy for you. I applaud you guys. You guys are killing it out there, and you guys are setting a great example for what pond professionals should be with great customer service and taking care of people, and uh, that in itself is going to pay you guys back. So congratulations on your major accomplishment. Um, if you guys want to learn more about that, go to Facebook, check out Premier Ponds, check out Steve, and um, you guys can see all about it. Mike Carrillo, Andrew Lingham, the whole crew there, you guys are doing a really, really great job. And um, okay, so we have 
Russ Center coming up, everybody, the Fountaineer. He's going to be coming on and talking with me on all things water feature, not just fountains, even though he is the Fountaineer. Um, cool things are happening with water features, and we're going to jump in deep. So stick around. Um, and now a word from our lovely sponsor, Full Service Aquatics. Do you love your pond? Full-service aquatics, water garden, and koi pond experts can give you a pond you can live with. Full-service aquatics, an award-winning water garden, koi pond, and water feature design and installation firm, has been creating amazing aquatic environments since 1995. Got waterfall? Full-service aquatics can make your old waterfall or pond look like new with our waterfall, koi pond, and water garden renovation and repair services. Visit FullServiceAquatics.com or call 908-277-6000 to speak with a full-service aquatics pond professional today. That's FullServiceAquatics.com or 908-277-6000. Full-Service Aquatics, a pond you can live with. Visit LoveYourPond.com. Full Service Aquatics, folks, since 1995, coming up on our 20-year anniversary of providing pond, water garden, and water feature services to the great state of New Jersey. Yep, Full Service does all sorts of water features. We are not just ponds and water gardens. We create custom water features, and we install prefab water features as well, so give us a try. Uh, You know, water features and fountains can be defined pretty broadly. All fountains are water features, but not all water features are fountains. So, no. And uh, not every water feature is necessarily decorative. In landscape architecture and garden design, a water feature is one or more items from a range of fountains, pools, ponds, cascades, waterfalls, and streams. Um, For the sake of tonight's discussion, we will be talking specifically about decorative fountains and water features, not water hazards on a golf course. We'll be leaving the fish and plants behind for tonight's episode and getting deep into the aquatic obsession. Tonight we focus on the shaping of water. We're going to look at how today's professional designers shape and present water to us. But water shaping is nothing new, and we really can't start a conversation about fountains and water features without going back just a little bit in time, like back to the Greeks and the Romans. The Egyptian culture, although springing up along the the shore of the Nile River and uh, being very water-centric in uh, their beliefs and customs and practices, they were actually pretty void of fountains and uh, decorative water displays. Not to say they they weren't there, but nothing to really speak of. And the ancient Chinese were not much on fountains. Not to say water-shaping and decorative water displays didn't happen. They did, but... The ancient Greeks were really among the earliest fountaineers. Let's just call them that, because that's who's coming on tonight. And the Romans followed suit with many famous fountains fed by their amazing aqueduct systems. Musical fountains, fountains with light shows, quote-unquote light shows, were around as early as the first century. In the 7th to ninth centuries, um, fountains were an important part of many garden designs for the Arabian, Moorish, and Islamic cultures. In the 15th to 17th centuries, lavish, amazing fountains were were constructed um, in Europe, with with the Baroque fountains of Italy still being world-class tourist attractions to this very day. They say if you toss a coin into the fountains of Rome, 
you will return to Rome. As beautiful and mind-blowing as those world-famous historical fountains are, today's fountains and fountain technologies can give the fountains of old some competition. There's no doubt about that. Um, today's most famous fountains span the entire globe. India, Peru, Russia, Germany, Switzerland, Italy, France, Japan, Dubai, you name it. Even the famous Buckingham Fountain, which, no, is not a Buckingham Palace. The Buckingham Fountain is in Chicago. It's amazing. And, of course, a more modern fountain. And my guest tonight designs and engineers today's modern fountain. His company is the Fountaineer, based out of Lexington, Kentucky, and his work can be found around the world. I'm really happy to have Russ Ditter, the Fountaineer, with me tonight. Hey, Russ, are you on the line? Hello, Mike. Can you hear me? I can, Russ. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Thank you very much for having me on your show. I'm very happy to have you on the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on and uh, talk about uh, water features and fountains tonight. Uh, this is a, a really cool topic I've been dying to get into for a little while. We actually, you and I tried to get something going a, a few weeks ago, and we just got kind of bumped around a little bit. But here we are. We got it together now. Um, how's everything going? Uh, everything's going uh, going okay right now. Um, Good. How's the, how's the weather but, down there in Lexington? Um, it's already gotten cold. We had about um, had about a half inch of snow last week, but the ground is not cold and the snow didn't last. Wow. Well, I'm I'm in New Jersey. I haven't gotten any snow yet, so I'm I'm pretty thankful for that. <laughs> So, the uh, the Fountaineer. Tell me about the Fountaineer. Tell me a little bit about your your company. Okay. Uh, let's see. Um, since I graduated in uh, in engineering, I was doing uh, plumbing and HVAC design, uh, mostly CAD, but a little contracting um, for about. 16 or 17 years when I worked at an architecture engineering firm uh, and the architects got this big uh, municipal project which was a renovation of a, uh, a big courthouse and square in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, so they came to their in-house engineers and they said, you know, we got this great big project. It's got some, it's going to have some fountains on it. We want to do this in-house and let's uh, Let's engineer this. Um, they basically asked for you know, people to, to get on the team. I put my hand up, and they said, okay, you know, you're, you're the only one to step forward. Let's, let's see what you can do. So I threw myself into the design. And I, uh, I really got interested in doing the fountains. Now, I'd already done some water parks and splash pads with this firm, so I was really familiar with the, with the water and pipes and pumps, and et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more the more I was thinking about how these fountains were going to work and all the all the machinery that would be underground, and uh, and how it all worked together, you know, I started talking about this endlessly to all the architects there. You know, I'd just grab a coffee mug and and go over to the architects and say, boy, you know, this is going to have a, a super pump to do this. It's going to have sensor systems here to do that, and it's, it's going to be programmed and and have variable frequency drives and all this stuff. And I guess I, I, I was talking about it so much that um, 
that they kind of rewarded my obsession with a with a moniker. One engineering, uh, sorry, one architect friend, he said, "We're going to start calling you the fountainer instead of the engineer." And I said, "I kind of like the sound of that." And yeah. a few years later, I used that to, uh, you know, to become the name of my business because what I do is uh, is designing CAD blueprinting of of water features, and I do it from an engineering background. So you were given the moniker, and it's a great name, the Fountaineer. I really uh, I like it a lot. When when did you officially um, start the Fountaineer? And again, you're you're based out of Lexington, Kentucky. Um, for everybody listening, yeah, yeah. When, when did when did you start the Fountaineer as a company? I started the business in the summer of 2006, which was right before, you know, almost before the uh, the economic downturn. You know, you know 2007. 2008, 2009, it was not a good time to start a business. No, um, not the best of times. But, uh, but we we survived through that. It's it's better now. You know, the people yeah. are, people are building things again. That's good. Um, and uh, I mean, you're you're based in Lexington, but but really, you you kind of your your service area is around the world. Yeah, I actually don't. I really don't do uh, many fountains in Kentucky uh, anymore, and I would love to do some. But, um, usually, there's uh, there's an architect in in Las Vegas or uh, Los Angeles or or somewhere else that has a project, and you know they they get going with a contractor, and, and sooner or later they they kind of realize they may be in over their head for uh, um, for what they need in terms of blueprint. You know, because what the contractor needs is is some a set of documents that's easy for him to understand, so he can price and build the project. And when there's um, uncertainty in the documents, the contractors will typically just add money into that when they bid it, because you know they don't know exactly what's expected. So the best right. thing is to take to take away as much uncertainty as possible. Um, and that's where that's where the value of my services comes in. You know, I, I produce a set of drawings so that contractors can can bid, um, and it actually you know, will save the owner some money on on projects. Uh, yeah. Sometimes sometimes you have uh, municipal money involved, um, and in some cases like transportation enhancement grants, where they actually require stuff to be um, designed and bid, so the you know the way that works is that you you produce a set of documents and it goes out for for many contractors to bid on and the lowest bidder gets the project. Yeah. So, so that's, that's well, what below, I do. I do two blueprints and I work with architects and it's it, I guess it's very different from the the side of the water shape um, industry that you're in. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's uh it's a it's a different animal. I mean we're we're cousins in that respect. Um, but yeah, definitely uh you know, I, I'm doing uh ponds, koi ponds, water gardens. I do water features but not the way you do. It's kind of a, a different different approach to it. Um and your your website, just so I can get it out there to people, is the fountaineer dot com. Um you're also on Facebook and uh I think it's it's your your page is the Fountaineer, is that correct? 
That's correct. Yeah, we're at the Fountaineer on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, and then we met on Twitter, uh, which is also at the Fountaineer. Um, how do you define a water feature, say, versus a fountain? Well, a water feature can just be a, a decorative pond. You know, a, a fountain is where you get into uh, lifting, lifting water and having it fall. You know, the, the lifting and falling of water has been the, uh, you know, really what makes a fountain ever, you know, ever since the, the, uh, the gardens of Babylon. And, and I appreciated your, uh, your, your uh, uh, historical references early on. You know, you've yeah. certainly done some research. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, um, whether, or not, whether or not a fountain is actually interactive or not, um, if the interactive water would be like a, um, a different category, it's sort of somewhere between swimming pools and fountains is this, is this interaction with water that's become very popular now with things like, uh, you know, your spray parts, splash pads, uh, and even the even the water slides, you know the, right. the flume that you'll you know sit in and slide down. I mean these these aren't these aren't actually fountains I would define them, but but still you know it's it's all people doing stuff with water. Um, sure. And, and how water is used in recreation, you know it's it's water has just been such an important aspect of our of our culture and our history and and because we are mostly water that we have yeah. this sort of a connection to this this thing it's so it's so natural um and we try to um try to control it uh and the control right. of water is sort of sort of what you see characteristic of fountains is is cultures demonstrating their their Superiority uh, companies demonstrating their wealth and power with something that shows that they can control the elements. Yeah, you know, so, it, so corporate a corporate plaza, you know, you can have a, a fantastic fountain there, and the statement that that makes um, is is not so subtle. You know, that the people that that the people that built this. Um, you know, have the money and have the have the power to control water. Yeah, it's it's an interesting compulsion that that humans have, and uh, you know, it, it it makes you wonder when when did that line get crossed from when water was more a matter of survival uh, to when it became a decorative and playful element in our lives. You know, and and I do look at it as what you're saying. It, it was it was a display. It was a display of wealth and power. And you know, it. it my God, I, I got to think back in the the you know ancient times. It, it must have literally just appeared to be liquid gold to people, just flowing everywhere. You know, because it's it's not a joke. People used to fight with animals at a water hole to get their water. <laughs> you know, and then to show oh, up I, where I, there was. Yeah, I mean you know, that's, you, that's not. You think about uh, you know even even back in uh, uh, the the nomadic tribes that wandered through the desert. I mean, if you don't have if you don't have water, it's over. You're you're dead out there. You know, so yep. the so the wells, the oases, the, these have become the most important places 
um, just for survival. And and yeah. even now nowadays in Africa, it's 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 having clean water and access to it and sanitation. I mean, these these are life and death issues in some parts of the world. Yeah, there's there's the Aquascape Foundation. Uh, I'm familiar with. They're doing some. They do work around the world, but they've they've done projects in Africa. Um, they're doing um, one coming up, I believe, in January. Uh, I'm not sure the exact date, but that's that's what they do. They they help to provide clean drinking water sources to villages. And and what a it's it's um, a dramatic difference that it makes in the overall quality of life for people. I mean, it's it's not just a matter of quenching thirst. It's it's controlling disease. It's um, it, it controls health issues, sanitary issues. There's so many things. It's, it's really amazing uh, some of the work that uh, that does go into bringing water to people. Now, I mean, and that those are kind of basic things. So they're certainly not going there building uh, you know triple tier fountains with dancing water and laser light shows. You know, no, as cool as that would no. be. <laughs> um, but, but, but I, in, in that, that perspective, we we certainly take we certainly take our access to water for granted, and and sometimes a um, a fountain in a public place sort of reminds us of of why we need it. Yeah, you know, it's it's yeah. it's, it's nice. To, it's always nice to have. To have money and spend money on on things that are pretty, um, and you know when when an architect asks me, you know, why should a building have a fountain? I could I could in turn just say, well, why does the building need windows? You know, yeah, <laughs> sure. windows don't really serve a purpose to the building, uh, but they sure make it look nicer. You know, they make it feel more like a, a place that you want to be. In. You know, yeah. sure it has yeah. money, but yeah, but yeah, windows have a value. And 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 so do fountains if they're if they're uh, if they're designed right. Right. What type? Uh, what's your favorite type of water feature? Uh, there's so many. There's so many I like. Um, I would say my favorite type of feature is the uh, the dancing the dancing waters that are choreographed to music. Um, yeah. You've you've seen these at uh, at the Bellagio and at the Burj Dubai. Um, even the uh, Sochi uh, fountains uh, at the last Olympics, the opening ceremony had a, a tremendous fountain there. And right. it was uh, it was done by an American company, not not mine, but and yeah. uh, but uh, it was it was fantastic. Uh, and and because these 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 fountains um, are so expensive; not a lot of people can have them. But you know, it's it's sort of become like the ultimate symbol of of wealth that um, that you know to put water in, uh, in a, to put a fountain, let alone water, uh, in a prominent yeah. place in a desert country like Dubai. You know, just just you know having water there. Water in abundance is, is a luxury by itself, but you know, add add to that. Now we're going to have a water and you know a water feature, and it's going to dance, and we're going to light it up. You know, and and features like that really add a, a place making value 
to the architecture. You know, you can't you can't really think about Las Vegas without thinking about the fountains there, and and sure. you can't really you know picture the Burj Dubai um, without understanding you know the, the all the fountains that you're going to see once you get there. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's become part of the land in some of these places. And that's that's why um, I, I would say that's my favorite type of fountain. The, yeah. The, the, the bigger, the better. Yeah. <laughs> and there's some big ones out uh, there. And, uh, yeah. Actually, actually, I like I like the fountain at the, um, at the Bellagio Hotel so much, I actually decided to get uh, uh, to do a, uh, a surprise proposal there and um, still married to the woman that said yes. Huh? Oh, did, really? That's awesome. That's great. <laughs> and, yeah, and there's, a, there's, a pretty... there's a story behind that, but it's too long, it's too long for this, this chat, I think, <laughs> another time. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I'll send, I'll send um, a link to the video. I had I had a friend videotape it, so I'll I'll uh, I'll tweet a link to that in case uh, in case anyone. Yeah, let's see it. Get it out there. Let's check it out. <laughs> Tell me about the the process of designing a fountain. Uh, a fountain. Like does does it start as a freehand? I know you use CAD, but does it start as a freehand drawing? Do you come up with concepts? Do people come to you with concepts that they need? Uh, I know they do that they need engineered, but Kind of walk me through what is the typical process for, uh, you know, a, a fountain to come to life and to to be constructed. How does that work? Um, sometimes it's just kind of by accident, and and um, sometimes it's it's where someone has a vision for for some kind of an experience for the place, like if. Uh, um, you know, if, if there's a hillside that, that an architect wants to decorate or, you know, a, a, an X on the plan that they say, you know, we may, we may put a sculpture here, we may put a water feature there. Um, so they need some kind of, an, uh, some kind of ideas for, for what can be done. And you want to start with a budget. Um, sometimes you don't, and and it usually goes bad from there if you don't start with a budget. But but figuring out, figuring out what someone has has an appetite for, you know, what what is someone willing to pay for, and and creating a budget and then working working from that point uh, is where they should all go. I mean, too many times someone has um, someone has this this appetite for a, a massive, you know, four hundred foot long water feature that flanks the entrance to a, a property, you know, when they find out what that costs, you know, that becomes a 30-foot water feature, um, yeah. and it's all just plain, it's all just plain concrete, and there's no landscaping around it, and everything just just gets done, um, you know, <laughs> on, on a, a much more realistic budget. You know, when, yeah. you, when you budget for a... a lot of people a, have champagne wishes with a beer budget. <laughs> Yeah, and unfortunately, fountains are one of those things that gets cut out of a project first when the project goes over budget. Um, right. And I feel really bad for the for the contractor that uh, you know that gets some 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 blueprints and and he has to 
you know, he has to price it, and then someone says, hey, you know, we, we, we need, let's just throw down some grass seed and, and save some money, you know, at, at which point, you know, a great blueprint or a great idea just, just becomes, uh, gosh, that would have been so nice to see actually get built. Yeah, um, sure. And, and the irony is, okay, uh, that actually happened with a, a fountain that I designed for uh, uh, Secretariat, the, uh, the famous racehorse. And there's oh, a memorial okay. to Secretariat at the Kentucky Horse Park. And you know the plans, the plans were all done, and all of a sudden there was just sort of a, um, a financial turnaround and. It came as close to getting done as a project could come, and it never got built. Uh, and yeah. the um, the owner of Secretariat, uh, Penny Shenry, who was, I don't know if you've seen the, the Disney movie a few years ago. Um, she was played by uh, a famous actress, and I can't remember her name right now. But uh, Penny Shenry... Uh, re- recognized all the work that went into this fountain, and even though she was pretty disappointed that the project never happened, um, she gave me a, an autographed picture of Secretariat, which is framed on my wall, and that is as close as that project got to being built. Wow! But, uh, it's one of those oh. one of those wonderful things that would have that would have been so nice, and you know, it's just it's just uh, sometimes they don't happen. And it's because of budgets. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's unfortunate that uh, water features do tend to get the axe before other uh, project features. And um, as you said earlier, kind of the, the irony a lot of times where they do say, hey, let's just throw something down some grass. Probably the long-term, you know, cost analysis would probably be cheaper to have the fountain than it is to have that grass and watering the grass and maintaining the grass and everything that goes into it. It's, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know about that. You see, um, and landscape architects will tell you the same thing. You know, it's, it's the landscaping that comes out first when a project goes over budget. But when you when you budget for a fountain, you want to you want to budget for about two about a one about one third of the budget for a fountain is what you actually see above ground. So when you when you look at a fountain, many times you'll say, "Gosh, does it really cost that much money?" Well, yeah, it does because there's a lot of most of the fountain is is underground and you don't see it. You know, it's all those yeah. pipes and drains and and the filters and everything that's that's most of the time it's it's hidden away in an underground vault or room in the basement of a building and and you know the the machinery itself. Uh, and the concrete work and and such that that all costs some money. Um, so when you just see you know the the attractive part of the fountain, which is the water flying up in the air, well, it's just water. You know how how much could that cost? <laughs> it's only it's only yeah. water. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's only water and and a lot of other stuff. Um, so we 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 start the discussion about you know about that one third of 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 the budget is what you're actually going to see. And when you start uh, adding things like, uh, you know, your color lights, your, your, your choreographed sequences, um, gosh, fog effects, fire effects, I mean, the, the, the price really shoots up. 
You know, right. it's all because yeah. of the, the the thing, you know, the work the work and the complexity of it. Yeah. I mean, it's truly an engineering process, and that's that's really where the the cost of the the project uh, goes to. And uh, it's an engineering process with a, a nice, pretty topping on it. <laughs> that is that's throwing yeah. water into the air. So some of the there's, there's so many there's so many different types of um, water features and fountains that are out there now. Is I mean, you you, you can see them everywhere and out in the public domain. Um, even in the private and private residences. One of them that, that I see that uh, when you and I had chatted um, was I, I love, and those are the, the floating orbs, the floating spheres, um, which I'm not sure, but I think those are a fairly new innovation. How long have those things been around for, and, and have you worked with those? Um, yeah, in fact, uh, I've done done several of those. Um, there's probably a dozen designers in the USA that that are familiar enough with the with the technologies of those floating orbs. Uh, they've they've been around for about uh, I would say more than 20 years. Okay. Uh, and some of them and and some of them work really well, and then and some of them don't work really well. But there's about yeah. Four or five, four or five um, um, granite quarries that uh, have the capacity to turn these, these huge boulders of granite into a perfect sphere, and that's what you need to uh, to actually create one of those uh, those orb fountains. You know, you just, yeah. you just pressurize it or under them with with water, and and um, you know, it's you just let simple hydraulics do the work. You know, with, with yeah, very little pressure, you can, you can lift a uh, a ball of granite that weighs thousands of pounds. And that's what it, anybody who's who's not familiar or not sure what we're talking about, they it's a it's a water feature which is just a, a perfect sphere or an orb that is on a mount and it it spins and like like Russ is saying, they can weigh many many tons. Um, you know, many, many thousands of pounds, and yet a child can spin them and rotate them. They're, it's pretty fascinating stuff. And uh, it just basically, you know, it kind of, I wouldn't really say it floats because you're, it has to be pressurized water actually pushing up the orb, so it's not really floating, but it's, it's being forced up. And how does that work? It's just on a very thin sheet of water or... Ha- What's the what's yeah. the engineering behind those? Um, well, just like uh, just like the hydraulic lifts in a garage lift your car, you know, you just you just put pressurized water under it, and the the, the shape of the sphere uh, basically creates this even film of water, and as the water kind of slides up over the sphere. It, it basically lubricates this bearing that is the, the connection between the, the ball or the, the rotating stone and the base stone. So yeah. um, that's, you know, just, just like a ball bearing floats, um, that's the same principle. Right. They're, they're very cool. I've seen a couple of them, and, uh, you know, it's like I just gravitate towards them, and, and, and there's always – 
especially in a public area, um, there's always people around them. People just can't walk by them. They they have to go. They they have to interact with them. So this is probably one of those interactive water features, you know, that you're you're mentioning, which I think is awesome. And and seeing those little kids are, you know, spinning this huge globe, this huge orb, um, it's so much fun. And of course, you know, I, I got to go up and give it a a whirl myself. And it's just really cool stuff. And I've seen um, floating discs as well, or floating wheels which is kind of a, a variation of the floating sphere. Um, yeah, the there's, same principle has... there's rings. There's actually, there's actually spheres within rings. So things are rotating um, on four axes. Very, very complicated design. I mean, um, you know, you can, you can put, a, you can put a, a floating ring or a floating ball inside a ring and put that whole thing on a turntable, have everything going in a different direction if you wanted to. Yeah. It's, you know, it, again, it's one of those things I look at and I'm like, who the heck thinks of this stuff? <laughs> like, who, who <laughs> thinks of these designs? It's, they really I, are. The answer to your question is that architects think about all this stuff, and then they give it to engineers, and they say, make it work for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, float it on water. You got a, a ten thousand pound piece of stone. Let's make it float. Enough. Rarely, the engineers are creative enough to come up with all this stuff. But you know, yeah. the, the role of the engineer is to solve the problems that uh, that an architect can create. Sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, another cool water feature that I've seen around for for a while. Um, maybe it even goes back longer than the spheres. Are just the simple water walls. Um, those have become kind of commonplace. Uh, you can actually go to Home Depot and get a water wall now. I mean, I, my local Home Depot literally has a, a section of small, you know, um, but they're water walls. Having water cascade down stone or steel or glass. Um, have you ever gotten involved with any of those type of projects? Um, yeah, I actually uh, designed the... Um world's tallest freestanding water wall in uh, in Lexington. In Lexington, okay. There were some taller ones that were temporary uh, art projects in New York Harbor, and there was also one in Scotland, if I recall. Was that, but, the, one uh, that was, was, was that the one pouring off of the bridge in New York? Uh, yes, I think so. Yeah, I remember that a few years ago. Because I'm I'm right outside of New York, I never got to see it, which I should have. Uh, I never <laughs> I never wanted to see it. But anyway, back to the water walls. Um, yeah, I mean those I see them typically in commercial applications and probably, you know, they're very popular in restaurants and stuff like that. Um, oh yeah, you see, uh, you see LED lights and and bubbles going up inside um, some Lexan chambers. Um, and those would be the bubble walls. And if water flows over a bubble wall, you would you would it's it's sort of a combination of water wall and bubble wall, and we call them a wubble wall. Yeah, I, I'm not joking. That's <laughs> that's what they call. Them. Uh, that's funny. I guess what's nice about those is that it's it's especially in a commercial or public setting, it's a pretty low liability. Uh, water feature, so it's not really 
a high danger of people drowning or falling in or getting hurt. So it's a really nice kind of safe, very pretty way to display water and um, a very simple way to display water. It's so important to address the the liability issue. When you have have water that people can touch or drink or or get into, that, um, you know, that means that you've got to, design it to a level that's uh, that's just like a swimming pool. You know, you've got to have a lot more regulations. You've got to maintain your proper pH and your water balance. Um, the blueprints are going to be reviewed by the health department. You know, just having just having water, you know, shooting up from uh, from a nozzle, yeah, it's great. But when you know when a, a child you know walks up to it and wants to drink from it, or you know a dog you know, wants to roll around on the nozzle and then all that water goes down the drain and, and gets recycled. I mean, you, you've got a, a potential there for um, a health, a public health situation. Um, so those, yeah. those water walls are those, those lounge features that, you know, I don't know if you've seen them in airports or bars, but, but you know, it, it's away from people. You're not touching it. And it's, um, you know, there's absolutely no risk of, of uh, communicable diseases and stuff. Waterborne illnesses, um, you know, where, where where people where people can see the water and not touch it is absolutely safe. Um, I've I've seen I've been called in a few times. I've never installed a water wall, but I've gone to work on them. I've been called in to do services for them, maintenance and stuff like that. Um, I've seen uh, usually they're calling me because there's there's a problem with it. Um, especially since I wasn't the installer and I'm, I'm going there to, to fix the issue. But one thing I noticed and I, I kind of theorized on is that when I'm going to work on these things and we're, we're cleaning it out, there, there's um, uh, sludge that builds up pretty quickly in these things. And I, I'm looking at it going, why the heck, you know, I, I understand the fish tanks and ponds and stuff like that because of fish waste, leftover food, plant material. But why on a water wall, is this sludge building up so so thickly, and I kind of theorize that it actually cleans the air and removes solids and you know dust and pollen particles and all these kind of things. The water wall will actually take those uh, suspended materials out of the air and capture it in the water, and of course create this sludge. Does um, so that that's just a theory I came up with? How does that sound to you? Do you think I'm on track? Oh yes, and in fact, you know, the more aeration that there is in a fountain, the more, the more dust, um, you know, atmospheric particles that are going to be captured by the water uh, and brought down into the into the body uh, or the the pond or the reservoir. Um, and when you add to that the uh, the natural evaporation that occurs in a fountain, that any um, anything that's in that drinking water. As, as you have like suspended minerals and, and uh, even metal particulate if you have iron pipes. Uh, but all that yeah. stuff just accumulates in a fountain. You see, as, as you evaporate water, you have to replace it with water. So there's, there's, there's more material coming in, plus the stuff from right. the atmosphere, plus stuff from, um, you know, the natural growth of, you know, your pollens and your, your bacteria that's in the air, you know, that all, they're all just having a great big old party in that, 
in that fountain basin. Yeah. You know, it's, and, and it can get really nasty when your when your water is out of balance. Yeah, sure. I mean, water acts like a magnet. It just kind of draws everything in. Um, yeah. And it's it, water walls. I mean, you you said you did the the tallest. Is it the tallest one in Lexington or the tallest one? Uh, uh, in the tallest, it's the tallest freestanding water wall. Um, at least it was when it was built, uh, and it's 25 feet tall. I mean, freestanding means not not connected to, a, not directly connected to a building. Okay, yeah, okay. I've, I've seen. Uh, of course, the ones that I've worked with have always been small scale. I mean, you know, maybe eight feet wide at the widest and 10 feet tall. Um, recently, I did see a water wall that I probably spent, I probably just spent like an hour hanging out by it. Um, and it was just amazing. It was about 200 feet long. You know, I'm, I'm guesstimating, but but pretty damn long, maybe 20 wow. feet high or so. And it was just, it was in Vegas. And um, it was at the, uh, what was the name? Of the I think it was the, the area, the Aria Casino. And um, it was very cool because it had ever-changing patterns on it. It was white water, so it was a textured wall. So it, it all came down as white water. And look like waves. It looked like, you know, waves on a beach coming at you horizontally, but these were coming down um, vertically. What I noticed, though, is that every new succession of waves, it pushed a lot of air um, away from the feature. You actually got kind of a breeze in your face standing there watching the water wall. It was really something else. It was pretty mesmerizing. And, uh, I mean, I <laughs> I spent an hour there. It was it was. It was pretty cool to watch. Um, there's a there's a huge water wall in uh, in a bridge in South Korea. And yeah. this, this is just, gosh, it must be 400, 500 feet long um, on yep. both sides of the bridge, and it's lit up with uh, with color changing LED lights on it, and it just it just is fantastic to look. It's almost distracting, you know, to, to see. To see this on a bridge or to try and drive by it, I guess you'd get used to it if you were living there. But um, right. But still, I mean, the, the amount of energy that it takes, and, and even the 9-11 memorial uh, in New York yeah. City, is yeah. uh, 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 it's a huge example of, of just a, a simple water wall or waterfall. Um, right. It's the the longest man-made waterfall in North America. Um, have you been there? Uh, actually, did visit that uh, last uh, uh, last July. I went to New York yeah. City and, and did that memorial, and yeah. it was really impressive. I mean, oh yeah, I mean, it, it's the, the entire memorial is is impressive and and tragic, of course. Um, but uh, the the water wall, the waterfall there is just that too. I mean, you can just sit and, and watch it for for hours. Um, I've only been there one time. I um, have some very good friends of mine took me there, and uh, I'd like to make it back there again at some point to to check it out again. Um, yeah, so that that's really an amazing uh, water feature there. Now, so, some of the other things that are a little more um, upbeat and lighthearted, 
um, are splash pads. And splash pads, I think, have been in the public sector now for a long time. People see them at water parks, um, but the where water is squirting up out of the ground, and the kids and even the adults run around and they get you know squirt. They're they're trying to stomp on these spouts that are coming out of the ground. They're really they're a lot of fun. They're very funny to watch um, kids play on, and uh, they really those are really cool. But I've seen now you can get backyard splash pads. Are you familiar with those? Uh, yep. Yeah, for as little as $20,000, you can get yourself a, a real nice backyard splash pad. It's uh, about as simple as a, an outdoor shower. Um, yeah. You know, the, even the small municipal ones, you're looking at, at spending uh, about $100,000 and up. But um, yeah, the technology the technology has certainly arrived to to do those small projects. Yeah, they're they're really cool. And then there's even uh, they're coming out with all different kinds now. I mean, they have disappearing splash pads that kind of sink down into the yard now when you're done with them. And it's really, I just really think those are really cool. And we'll see how well they do in the private sector. I think, you know, it's not going to be something we'll see in everybody's backyard, but it certainly is a pretty good option as to, you know, for somebody who wants a fun interactive water feature for their kids but maybe doesn't want the responsibility, liability, and maintenance of a swimming pool, um, splash pads are really something for those type of uh, people to consider. And, oh, absolutely. Um, There's also a trend where where the conventional uh, rectangular swimming pools with, uh, you know, with the lap lanes and the diving board um, where, where some – Parks and Rec agencies are, are converting the rectangular pools into more interactive uh, water features, so that uh, you know to keep to keep people coming to the um, the swimming pool. They're um, you know they they they're looking at the liability issues of, of people drowning, and they're looking at the maintenance issues of of uh, you know having to filter all the water in the pool and and have lifeguards and such. And they're looking at the fact that, you know, splash pads don't need lifeguards and no one can drown in a, in a splash pad. And, you know, they can, they can save a lot of money uh, and still, yeah. still address the, the, you know, the need for the public's recreational need for water, you know, whether it's, right. you know, every, every 50,000 people um, probably has access to a swimming pool in your neighborhood. Um you know, and and maybe sometime every uh, every five thousand children in a neighborhood or something could have their own um, little splash pad or something like that. Yeah, yeah, they're great fun, and they, I mean, kids just are attracted to them. I mean, they just there's no keeping them away. I, I almost think kids would be more enticed to go play in a splash pad than than to jump into a swimming pool or something like that. Um, oh yeah. And, and dogs love to play in them too. And, and of course, here in Kentucky, we have horses that actually interact with the, the water in our fountains. Really? <laughs> so, <laughs> design considerations. What is going on down there? <laughs> we have we had uh, uh, some marathons that um, um, where the mounted police were in charge of like security for the marathon. Okay, so as the 
as the marathon route takes people through the through the square downtown, a lot of the runners will run through the fountain just to kind of cool off on the run, so to speak. Um, but of course, the mounted the mounted policemen, you know, find that they like to uh, that the horses themselves like to stick their heads into the into the water as well. So uh, so everyone gets pulled off in certain cases like that. That's very funny. Um, you know what I think is really great that that I've only seen once because I I just haven't been to and I'm sure there are other places I happen to see it down in Disney at the Epcot Center is the the water screen technology in fountain design where um, and I think Disney uses a lot of it where you can project images onto water screens and um, I mean really. Yep pretty detailed images. You can watch movies. You can you can do all sorts of stuff. And, and the only place I've seen it, and I, I do know it's elsewhere, is Disney. Um, tell us a little bit about that technology. That is some really, really cool stuff. Okay. Uh, basically, what you have is a, is a really large pump and a fountain nozzle that is kind of shaped um, – like a hamburger patty with the with the hamburger patty itself removed. You just have the buns, okay, and they're just like close together. So you have this this sandwich, this super thin sheet of water. And as as the water gets gets blasted through this nozzle, it basically creates this this screen, um, sort of a water wall in reverse. Uh, but yeah. basically, it's it's just uh it's just using the nozzle itself. And a, and a small gap to to create this high velocity sheet of water. Yeah. Oh, it's, so it's it's basically a slot instead of uh, you know a round nozzle or, or you know kind of a tube shaped nozzle, which would right. be typical for. Yeah. Um, but then and you just point your lasers at it from different angles, and you can create all sorts of effects. But it's. It's a it's a neat way of having a temporary screen, you know, a temporary surface that you can you can have up at a moment's notice. You know, just catch and all of a sudden you got this big screen of water right there. You can make projections on it. Um, yeah, and some of it even has three dimensional um, effects to it as well. It's really cool. And it's a great way to do. Go ahead. Hello? Hello? You still there? I'm, I can hear you. Um, yep, I'm still here. Go ahead. So it's, <laughs> it's a great way to do light shows and, and even laser shows and stuff like that using the water screen technology, um, which is a big thing now with water features, is, and it's probably been a big thing for, for quite some time. I, I kind of touched on back in even you know antiquity, the light shows, that I'm referring to back then were, were, you know, of course, by torchlight and, and by fire. Um, but, I mean, the light shows these days are pretty amazing. And um, I was watching a fountain, oh, I don't know, a little while ago. And uh, it was a dancing water fountain with water just being shot across this huge basin towards each other. And it was so precision that these these little bullets of water would actually hit each other, you know, 30 feet in the air, dead on, and just, you know, erupt into all these little tiny droplets. And uh, 
the, the light show underneath was just amazing, changing all different sorts of colors, lasers coming out. It was, it was amazing, amazing stuff. And uh, I really love seeing those kind of things. Do you get into those type of features at all? Where you're you're doing the the light shows and you know maybe laser shows or anything like that? I've only done one feature that had a lot of um, uh, mechanical and lighting choreography in it. It's really not my not my specialty or my my bread and butter. The larger fountain companies are um, are doing those sorts of projects all the time. Yeah, and those are just so much fun. They really are. They're so much fun to watch, and uh, just the the everything that goes into it. I, I sit and I try to figure out the mechanics of it, and I see, you know, these little water cannons just barely rise out of the water, and you just see this little spout, and it just perfectly shoots water, you know, dancing from one thing to another or crashing into each other. Really amazing, amazing technology, amazing engineering, amazing precision. And it's all done with with water. It, it's just it's really something else. And of course, you get the soundtrack that goes along with it. So a lot of, a lot of today's water features include not just the light show and all these this new technology that we have, but you get a a soundtrack to go with it, whether it's music or sound effects. And um, just like I'm sure you you experienced at the Bellagio, that you know the. Uh, music that they play along with those things. How are they doing that? When they choose a music piece, how does that get synced up to work with the water display? What what type of technology are they using to create these shows? Well, the the original um, program for the Bellagio Pound was was basically written in like MS-DOS. It was it was as basic a programming language as you could come up with. Um, you know, nowadays what you're doing is you're using um, digital music controls. You know, the the technology that was developed for um, the musical digital interface or MIDI, um, and that was like in the late late 80s, early 90s. That all became um, converted to a, a new technology called BMX, where basically you can um, program a fountain like that live on the fly if you want to um, if you want to have some kind of a um, you know, it's like someone playing an instrument with a keyboard where, where every touch immediately activates some kind of some kind of sequence or, or something in the water. And um, uh, the Bellagio did this just recently with uh, in a live show with a with a very famous disc jockey, um, some guy with like, gosh, he's got hundreds of thousands of followers, but um, he's a celebrity DJ, and he worked the Bellagio found to one of his new, um, you know, one of his mixes, and um, basically controlled all the aspects of the fountain through a keyboard, just like a yeah. disc jockey with music in the club, you know, he had the music going and he was he was actually mixing the the look of the fountain. Um, wow. But, but but to answer your question, the um, you know, how how is it done? If you have to uh, um, 
imagine every nozzle or every aspect of the water as a as a note on a piano. Okay, and if you were to control this thing with with you know only two notes, there's only so much variation that you could actually have. When you start adding in you know 88 notes or 400 different notes that you can start playing in chords and combinations and and your sequences and all the things that, all the variations that you can have there. Now take all that and dump it into a, a spreadsheet or convert it to machine language and you get you get so much so much digital code that it it can really become mind-boggling. And yeah. the way that these guys have done it in the past at the Bellagio is that they would have um, a great big spreadsheet with hundreds of rows, thousands of columns. And each each cell on the spreadsheet was an activation signal for for a nozzle on the fountain. Okay, and as the fountain show progressed, you're moving through columns on the spreadsheet. So someone's job is to listen to the musical track and make sure that each section of this spreadsheet is the right length and the, the proper cells are telling the fountain nozzles to activate. The uh, I, I talked with some some of the guys at the Bellagio and they said, you know, it takes it takes at least three weeks to do a, a new song for for that fountain. And the person who's programming has to listen to the music over and over and over and over and over. You know, yeah. and, and you're not like listening to the whole song. You're listening to it in 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 ten second segments, and then you're rewinding it, listening to it again, and rewinding it, listening to it again. You know, programming these fountains uh, can be a very maddening experience. Um, so, uh, programming a, re- a special song for a Britney Spears um, song at the Bellagio just about drove the programmer nuts. Uh, and <laughs> When, when his coworkers really want to uh, uh, to gig them, what they do is they they, <laughs> they in the maintenance shop they play this Britney Spears song and he just screams and runs out of the room. <laughs> He's listened to it way more than a, than a grown man might want to listen to a Britney Spears song. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Her music but, uh, has the same effect on me. <laughs> yeah, but you know all that work. All that work goes on behind the scenes, and what and the final product, what you have, is, you know, Frank Sinatra singing "Fly Me to the Moon," and, and it's all perfectly done, and it makes a great visual presentation. People take pictures of it, they shoot videos of it, and the videos go up on YouTube, and they talk about it on social media. The payoff for that is huge for the Bellagio oh, yeah. Hotel. You know, it's even even be... though. Some Sanity got completely sacrificed <laughs> to make it all work. Yeah, it, it's 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 got to be one of the most famous fountains in the world these days. And um, you know, I was out in Vegas not too long ago, and of course took the time to to hang out at the Bellagio. I mean, people get there. I think it's every hour or so that they do the show, and um, people line up. I mean, they're four or five deep, um, you know, to see this. And that's just in front. I mean, there's beautiful restaurants across the street with, you know, that you can sit and watch this as well. But, I mean, it is really, really 
something else. And like you had said a little bit earlier, I mean, when you think of Vegas now, of course you think casino, but probably one of the one of the images that pops into most people's minds is the Bellagio specifically. Um, it has oh, gotten yeah. that and, much. And if you've seen the movie Ocean's Eleven, there's a there's a great scene in that movie with uh, with George Clooney and and Brad Pitt, and they're chatting in front of the Bellagio fountain. Yeah. You know, and it's yeah. it's it's become such a you know like the Trevi Fountain in Rome, you know the the fountain at the, the front feature, as we call it at the, the Bellagio, uh, has just become a cultural icon in itself. Uh, and yeah. and I would say the one must-see uh, thing if you go to Vegas. Yeah. You know, it, it's hard <laughs> and to... And there's so like much right, to see. <laughs> right in the middle of the strip. But there's, there's lots of great fountains in Las Vegas. And, and um, you know, you could you could probably write a book um, of of all the you know all the amazing water features that you could find in Las Vegas if you wanted to concentrate on that. But, Absolutely, but, uh, they're they're everywhere you you turn. You're seeing them uh, right right not to a quick walk from the Bellagio, and you're at the Mirage, and the Mirage has this beautiful waterfall that's running all day long, and it's just you know really awesome and beautiful. And then at at night they turn it into a pyrotechnic show where it converts into this fire-breathing volcano with dramatic, you know, drumming and music and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's like over-the-top insane. There's, there's fire erupting from the surface of the water. So it's a, it's a combined feature, pyrotechnic and water feature. Um, it's just amazing. Everywhere you turn in Vegas, there's something going on. There's, and I think it's, it's amazing that that's what these people, I mean – they have unlimited, you know, pretty much unlimited resources to create the, these amazing hotels and restaurants and, you know, the top-notch yeah. entertainment that comes comes through that town. And yet, almost every one of these big-name places, they choose to have a massive water feature to still draw people in, as if the casinos, music, restaurants, and, and people watching wasn't enough. It, it's funny. They all rely on water features, to, and it works. I mean, look at that—the Bellagio, the Mirage. These, these. Oh yeah, they, even they work. Uh, the Venetian has a huge water feature that winds through the property. Okay, and they they put gondolas on there with the with the singing gondoliers. You know, if you've never yeah. been to the Venetian and walked through that, I mean, you can't miss this this wonderful yeah. um, uh, this wonderful pool, linear pool that winds itself through the property. You know, it really is right. a very special place. Um, and and it's funny how the the Bellagio's fountain has become so um, so important to not only the the hotel's identity but but Las Vegas as well. Um, the whole the whole fountain at Bellagio started because they they ha- they had to figure out a way to recycle the water that a hotel that size uses, uh, and because they're, they're out in the desert. And water is so um, so expensive out there that all the all the water that a big hotel uses for the laundry and and um, uh, you know non non cooking uh, right. operations. Okay, yeah. they 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 figured that they were going to just have some kind of a filtered pond so they could they could reclaim all this uh, water. And 
basically um, they uh, they figured out that if they put a you know they might as well do something with this with this ten acre pond on the property. So that's that's where the whole genesis of the fountain came in. It's like you know we got this we got this great big lake that's there by necessity. Why not make it attractive? Yeah. You know and um, you know eventually eventually uh, you know what started as a as a kind of a small budget like many concepts becomes becomes complicated and over budget and and then over budget again but eventually it got built and I think that 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 fountain itself has has found more than paid for itself in terms of you know the advertising value that it's brought to the property. Yeah, yeah, it must have. That's really interesting story that you just said. I had no idea that that's how uh the fountain came about. So it was really they had a an issue of functionality and from that the Bellagio fountain was born. That's 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 pretty cool. That's a pretty interesting story. Had yeah, no and idea. And someone with a lot of money having some faith in a, in an engineer to make it work. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, that 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 fountain itself uh wasn't without its its snags and, and uh um, you know technical issues as it was built. I think the Discovery Channel did a great um, did a great kind of a behind the scenes underground look at at how that fountain actually works. But that's that's worth checking out. If I if I can find a link to that show, I'll uh, I'll tweet it. But, uh, yeah, definitely. And remember, everybody, you can catch Russ on on Twitter at the Fountaineer. If you guys want to check out the stuff, he's going to be tweeting a little bit later. Yeah, that's that is so cool. Um now pyrotechnics that they're they're doing now is just how does that work? Is it basically just um you know, propane or natural gas that that is being released just below the water surface or maybe just above the water surface? Well, you wanna you wanna release the uh the gas actually above the water surface. Okay. Uh and and the trick is getting getting the nozzle with the gas as close to the water as possible because, the, you know, the water and the gas can't occupy the same space. But you can kind of create the illusion that the two are in the same space. Yeah. Um, I was looking at some, some videos of some, some guys in, um, in Russia today. Uh, I was looking, this, looking at the videos up on YouTube, and they're doing, doing some amazing stuff with igniters. Um, but basically, having the having your gas nozzles side by side with your fountain nozzle, and blowing yeah. enough gas out of the the gas nozzle, so that as you squirt the water up, you know eight, ten, maybe fifteen feet, that the water is actually igniting, or sorry, the gas is actually uh, entrained with the water. Um, and can't ignite until it gets to the top, where the water reaches its its, its peak height. Okay, it breaks apart in a little uh, a little mushroom head or a little a little fountain head way up way up top in the air. And now the gas is separated from the water, and it ignites up there. But but you can only have something like that if you ignite it down low and then kind of bring in the water, bring it, build up the pressure, because you know, unless you have someone someone out there with a match or having your having your igniter um, out there 
you know, in the middle of the air. You can't have you can't have fire that sits on water ten feet in the air. So you, you basically ignite it down low and then bring it, build it up with your water, and the water kind of starts lifting this this little fireball higher and higher and higher. And sometimes it, sometimes it goes out and you have to start it up again. But but some really really amazing stuff, you know. And it, yeah. Yeah, and Russia is no stranger to. Sorry, combining fire and water is a specialty into itself. You know, it's it's a really um, it's a really technical aspect of of water feature design, and there's a lot of liability that goes into uh, you know to doing something that's safe. You know, I I yeah. I, I, I really admire that stuff. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure you've seen the display at the Mirage. That's just, it's, it's insanity. And it's so much fun. It's really, it's, it's just a lot of fun. I mean, Vegas is definitely, if, if somebody is into water features and they're looking for a destination place to go and hang out for a weekend or a week, whatever the case, Vegas would definitely be among them. Can you think of any other water feature destinations? Is there any, any place you know of that's very rich in water features, uh, you know, similar to Vegas? Well, I like Navy Pier in Chicago um, yeah. because you know it's it's a great place to visit. Um, there, there are these water features there that that kind of playfully leap from one garden to another. Um, gosh, there's there's so many there's so many great great places. Um, Central Park has uh, some really wonderful water features, and, and even though they don't they don't kind of jump around. It's the it's the fountains, these great yeah. big classical classical round bowl statuary fountains that that show up in so many movies. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, you, you, iconic. You, you can't, can't. You know, once once you once you once you recognize the 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 fountains in Central Park, you keep seeing them in all the in all the movies, and there's so many movies. About New York City. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yep. Obviously, the the, the Buckingham Fountain, um, you know, famous for the uh, you know being in that opening sequence to uh, Married with Children. You know, the yeah. old TV show. <laughs> which it's funny. Which that, you know, that's you, probably you, what, you what not, most people. If you've seen that fountain in the, on the on the TV show. Yeah. <laughs> that's why what most people can can relate directly to the Buckingham Fountain. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's from uh, Married with Children. <laughs> Probably oh, yeah. not well, the design there. The whole the whole show was you know was if 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 some of you listeners haven't seen the, the show, the whole show was about this you know this poor this poor man who seemed to have the the whole life sucked out of him by his family yeah. situation, and that was kind of reflected yeah. in this fountain, you know, which yeah. which is all kind of lively, you know, during the start of the opening sequence and then all of a sudden, you know, it just kind of ends. And <laughs> it, looks, yeah. it, it looks so sad, you know, a fountain, a big fountain like that where, where the water's turned off and it just looks like nothing is, is, is really depressing. Yeah. That's funny. That was a good show. Um, I don't, I mean, I, I've never been there, but I see that Dubai is very much into water features. Do you have any insight as to uh, 
what's happening over at Dubai as far as new developments or anything like that? Um, gosh, ever since ever since Frank Gehry designed their their Guggenheim and Bilbao and you know Kuwait, Dubai, you know they've they've always had a really um, a really good economy over there. Um, you know, and and they like to they like to build fountains, um, but they you, know, you, do. Won't, you won't see you won't see like statuary fountains um, over there. They there there are cultural um, cultural taboos about representing um, you know animals and forms of people in fountains. So you have you have nozzles, you have dancing dancing shapes. Sometimes sometimes you'll see. Uh, you know, oysters and clams in fountains. Um, yeah. But you know, most most of the most of the sculpture, if any, is, is can can be kind of abstract. Um, yeah. Oh, the uh, the Washington uh, General Washington Memorial Fountain in Philadelphia was fantastic. It's not far from the Rocky statue and the and the museum, um, the, the Art Museum of Philadelphia. Yeah, um, yeah, but, I know exactly so, what we're talking about. That's, yep. a, that's another one of my favorites. It's just this massive bronze sculpture of the Four Seasons, and you have Indians and animals and and all sorts of amazing sculpture in that fountain. Yeah. So, yeah, I, it I, is. I, I would really put that one on my top ten list of of, uh, of great fountains in the USA. Yeah, it really, no, that says a it lot. Really, yeah. Now, with all this technology that we talked about, you know, it's it's all mostly being applied to large-scale water features. Do you you ever see maybe a time where that stuff can get kind of scaled down to something of a a backyard type of display? Um, yeah. Does the technology go there where you could have your water dance? You know, you put on, you sit in your backyard, have a glass of wine, put on some music, and have the water dance to whatever song selection you you choose. Um, there are lots of residential, um, you know, dancing fountain type kits that you can do. I mean, you can find some do-it-yourself stuff on on YouTube if you you know if you want to do it yourself kind of kits. Um, basically, uh, uh, lighting sequence controllers that you can get from you know a lot of music shops will sell um, yep. sell DMX lighting controllers that are 100, 120 volt. Um, these can be uh, these can be used to run small pumps. So if you get some small pumps from your, your home depot Lowe's you know or local water gardening store, then you know with something as, as simple as uh, you know, a hundred dollar lighting controller. You could you could do a couple uh, of pumps just plugged right into it, and you know where the lighting controller has programmed sequences already into it. It would be very yeah. easy to do something like this into a little pond and have you know nine or you know nine or twelve little nozzles all just kind of bopping around, you know, on a very low budget. Yeah, you know, that's cool. Yeah, that, that, that technology absolutely exists to do it as, as cheap as you want to do it. You know, it's not not a permanent thing, but if you if you were having a party or an event or, or you know just the occasion, you know, you can yeah. you can find equipment to do that. Right. Yeah. 
And water features don't have to be fancy. I mean, you could just have your neighbor stand there and squirt you with a hose, you know. <laughs> yep, absolutely. You know, if you, want, if you, want, some, that, if you want that cheap, if you want some cheap entertainment, give yeah. children a water hose on a hot day. Okay, That's, there is there yeah. is nothing simpler and cheaper than that. Yeah, and it's it's almost like those little kids they they grow up to design these grand, amazing fountains and displays. It it never leaves them. That 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 inborn just fascination with with water, dancing water, and you know spraying water and all that kind of stuff. What type of um, trends do you think we might be able to we might see in the future of of fountains and water feature technology? Anything on the horizon that that looks interesting that that will be perhaps coming out in public in the coming years? Well, I think the the valves are going to get smaller and the controls are going to get more complicated. So you're going to see um, uh, nozzles working together like, um, like, like these water curtains that have, um, you know, the ability to, where nozzles are opening and closing very quickly, you can create text and, and shapes that are, that are very temporary in the, in the water forms that you see. So where, um, you know, where water would just fall down before, now you can have names, you can have dolphins and lions and, and all sorts of images just kind of cascading in front of you. Um, and I think you're going you're gonna to see more and more of these as the technology develops. Uh, there will also be apps where, where people can – can be interacting with fountain lights and and like municipal water features, um, and and people are already doing this with artwork. It hasn't been done with fountains yet, but where yeah. where people download an app onto their phone, you know, to suit their own mood, they just walk up to the fountain and they can dial in the color that they want to see, or they can yeah. they can hit a button and, and change the program, make the water leap in different directions. I mean, it's sort of um, sort of uh, interactiveness is actually yeah. going to become, become more social. You know, very, you, can very. Maybe, you may be able to control a fountain with, with tweaks. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Who knows? That's very, very interesting. It'll be very fun to see what the future holds because water fountains and water features are not going away anytime soon. I think it's a, a human um, fascination and it's been with us a long time. It certainly isn't going to disappear anytime soon. And, um, you know, I wanted to thank you very much, Russ, for coming on and taking the time to hang out tonight and talk fountains and water features with me. Um, it's really some pretty amazing stuff that's going on with fountain te- technology and, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts and your expertise on this subject with me and the listeners tonight. Thank you, Mike. I, I enjoy your your uh, activity on Twitter, and I have enjoyed our, our conversation tonight. Um, and looking forward to hearing uh, about your get other uh, guests in the future. Well, thank you very much. We got for some great on. guests coming up. You're you're very welcome. And I again, I appreciate so much you coming on. This has been a lot of fun. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again in the future. And, um, you know, have a, have a great evening and keep the great work coming. And 
And remember, um, everybody, Russ is going to be tweeting out some of those things that we talked about earlier in the program. Russ, thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Have a good night. Well, that was Russ Sitter, everybody, from the Fountaineer. And uh, thanks very much for joining me, Russ. You can all catch up with Russ on his website, thefountaineer.com. And as we were talking about, he is on Twitter as well, uh, at The Fountaineer. And you can see him on Facebook, The Fountaineer. And Russ was a great guest. It's really fascinating stuff, Um, fountains and water features and all that, all those amazing ways to shape and to play with water. And um, Russ's designs can be found around the world. I'm sure we'll have a lot more to see coming from The Fountaineer. So, yeah, you know, I mean, fountains, they've been with us for a while now. Um, And they will not be going anywhere. They'll be with us uh, for our grandchildren's grandchildren because fountains are timeless and they're they're ageless too. So um, I was looking at some of the things. Here's some interesting fountain trivia. The highest fountain in the world is in Saudi Arabia. It shoots 850 feet up into the air. That's just insane. So that is the highest mountain, uh, highest fountain in the world. The oldest fountain in the world uh, is Lion Rock Citadel in Sri Lanka, of all places, which kind of blew my mind when I was, I was looking up these things. Sri Lanka is believed to be built around 470 B.C. Um, but even the Sumerians had carved rock fountains as far back as 2000 B.C., um, but certainly not to, uh, you know, the decorative degree that, that we are talking about. And um, even the Mayans, the Mayans had fountain works and aqueducts. So the technology, even in the ancient world, it's amazing. That's why I say it's a human obsession. It doesn't matter where you came from, um, what geological boundaries you had, what political, what religious boundaries you have. Everybody, um, if you're a human, is attracted to water and the presentation and shaping of water. Uh, The largest fountain in the world is the musical fountain at Daidopo Beach in Korea. The thing is over 27,000 feet long, has over 1,000 nozzles, um, with Singapore also having a massive fountain, probably the second biggest fountain, called the Fountain of Wealth. And uh, that measures in at 5,521 feet across. That's pretty pretty insane. Pretty cool stuff. You guys got to Google these and check them out. I mean, it's just amazing stuff, even the Dubai stuff. The world's most expensive fountain? Go ahead and take a guess. Yes, Dubai. The fountain costs over $218 million to build. And if you Google and check out the video and the photos, you will see why, and I'm sure you would agree. Yeah, $218 million, kind of makes sense. Um, and the world's most famous fountain? Not the Bellagio. Pretty damn famous, but not the Bellagio. Let's give that one to the Trevi Fountain in Rome, which is a Baroque fountain, classic. It's amazingly beautiful. It's a world-class water feature. It's a tourism destination. How about that? The Trevi Fountain in Rome. Hey, throw a coin in there, and you will come back to Rome to get the coin. Um, Crazy. Fountain crazy. Fountains are here to stay. I'm very happy that they are. Um, So, yeah. 
Thanks, Ross. Thanks for, for coming on. This has been really cool. Um, I have some reminders for you guys. And remember, I got it. The show has a new closing, so you guys stick around. We're not done yet. However, um, as much as fountains are here to stay, if you're in the colder areas, it's probably time to winterize them and get them covered up till spring. <laughs> so fountain season is over, everybody. Cover your fountains, protect them, don't let them crack, don't let them get all beat up during the winter time. Winter is not a very friendly time of year to fountains. Um, water features, because there is no real definition to what a water feature is. It could be anything. Water features could probably run a little bit longer. But most fountain displays, if you're looking at freezing weather, it's time to get those completely winterized, and I'd recommend covering them over um, so you can have a beautiful fountain again next year. Pond season may wind down, but fountain season ends. So get those covered up, or, uh, or I'll call Russ Setter, and I'll get him on your case. And um, remember, the next Pond Hunter radio broadcast is coming up on November 19th with Kelly Billing, author of The Water Gardening Bible and Lotus, Know It and Grow It. Kelly will be with me to talk about aquatic plants. Don't miss the show, or your water garden is going to turn brown and it's going to wither if you miss the show. So make sure you tune in. If you have questions, call in. Send me your questions by email if you want, Facebook, however you want to do it. Happy to hear from you guys. And uh, what else? In Botanza, remember, the Palm Probes, November 18th and 19th, Phoenix, Arizona. And, um, you know, I love to hear from you guys. Don't make me do the show by myself. Here, remember what it sounded like? Let me see if I can find this. If I got to do the show by myself, we're going to end up with something like this. There you go. Yep. Nobody wants to hear that. So um, let me know you guys are out there. Uh, I'd love if you would stop by blogtalkradio.com slash thepondhunter. Give me a rating or even a comment on the show. I'd love to know that you're out there. You can find the show on iTunes. I would love a rating and a review there too. And if you like the show, I could use just a little of your help. A few words, a few moments of your time could go a really long way. And you can visit me on Twitter at The Pond Hunter. Say hi. Give me a follow. On YouTube, go to the YouTube Pond Hunter video series, youtube.com slash Hunter, and, of course, on Facebook. So thank you all so much for being with me tonight. I'm going to play a little song before we get to the new closing for the show. And um, I got a really cool song for you tonight by a friend of mine, Damien Calcane, the Damien Calcane Band, um, good friend of mine. I'm going to play a song for you. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate you guys listening. I really do. Thank you guys so much for being here and sharing this with me. Um, I'm always going to try to bring you guys interesting stuff. It'll be in the pursuit of all things aquatic. Uh, I'll bring on great guests. You guys rock. And, um, Here's a little tune for you guys to enjoy.
been listening to the pond hunter radio broadcast on blog talk radio with your host mike gannon the pond hunter in the pursuit of all things aquatic broadcasting wednesday nights on blog talk radio the pond hunter keeping it pondy 
for the Aquatically Obsessed. Thanks for listening, everybody. Keep it pondy. I'm going to. Keep it pondy. I intend to. Keep it pondy. Ah, shut up.